Welcome to the Effective Church Leaders Podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive. I'm your host, Carrie Holton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Becky Holton. Good morning, hon. Good morning, babe. Well, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. It is just like a winter wonderland around here. I have a little bit of snow coming down, but... It's, it's a beautiful snowfall. Good thing about here, it'll be gone mostly by tomorrow. That's true. Well, let's talk about where we've come from in this podcast okay. series. In our last two podcasts, we began a conversation on a difficult topic, but one that is vital, mm-hmm. one that church leaders need to hear. That topic is the crisis of moral failure in church leaders today. The last time that we met together, we defined the topic and also shared some startling statistics that revealed the great need for a biblical response to this increasing crisis in our churches. We also discussed a lot of moral failure preventive steps that church leaders and ministers themselves can take. What are we talking about in today's episode? Well, today we want to continue this sad topic, and we talked last time about This is a topic we really don't like to talk about, but all you have to do is read the newspapers to see that um, moral failure is a problem among all religious groups. And today we want to continue the conversation by talking about what to do if allegations are made against a ministry staff member. And then in the next podcast, we want to talk about how to respond if those allegations are proven true. Uh, but this step about responding to allegations is a step we don't like to talk about and one that really we often skip over. But it is so vital to follow up on sexual allegations that are made against a ministry staff member. Right. I think you're right about that. I think your suggestions in this podcast will be as helpful as they have been in the whole series. And, you know, our listeners may not know that, that not only do you have 20, 25 years in, uh, in counseling as a professional licensed therapist, uh, you've had years of experience in ministry. You have uh, education out the wazoo. <laughs> We're still paying for it. <laughs> so I, I want them to know that you know what you're talking about in this episode. I think that this information will be extremely helpful to the church leaders that are listening in. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate the vote of confidence. It's um, This is a topic I, I don't know how we have found ourselves in a place of giving counsel, really, for this. You and I have had to, uh, sadly, walk through a lot of these crisis events, um, allegation events, with quite a few churches and other churches that have called us for consultation. It's not something we picked, but something that we have found our place in where we could serve from time to time and just walk through these really hard, sad days. You're right. We've had a lot of experience here. We've we've been involved in a lot of situations like this. Mm -hmm. I think that before we get into our content, that we ought to preface our remarks today. Yes. Uh, What would you say as far as the assumptions that we're having as we enter into this discussion? Maybe maybe some disclaimers that you would offer. Thank you. I think that's always important to talk about when we have a conversation such as this. And what we want to say at the outcast of this podcast and the next one that's coming is something 
that's really important we want our listeners to hear. And we want them to know we are just making general comments or suggestions regarding moral failure in church leaders. Uh, and the and the reason I'm saying that is, you know, each situation is different and will have mm-hmm. to be looked at and carefully uh, talked about and prayerfully responded to. And, you know, as much as we wish there was, I wish we could Google and find a cookie cutter formula on how to respond to moral failure. Um, Even though there's not one of those, we do believe there are general principles, which would be very helpful for us to discuss. And we do want to say at the outset, and we may say from time to time in the next two podcasts, more than likely churches would be well advised to contact legal counsel regarding these situations. They're sticky and they're hard to work through, and there's legal parameters that we are not going to address. But we would recommend that church would be well advised to contact their attorney or legal counsel in working through these. Yeah, I think you said two things there that I just want to underscore. And the first is that we're going to talk about general principles, that each situation mm-hmm. is different and should be handled as a separate situation. Right. But also the need for uh, talking to a legal counselor. I think that's probably a very good suggestion. Mm-hmm. I would say mental health counselors can help guide through some of these, but also attorneys, legal counsel um, need to be brought into these situations just to give us the broader view of what we're dealing with and to make sure that we do it well. You know, we ask elders and shepherds to be spiritual leaders. That's their expertise. It may not be, uh, it may not be uh, as a, as a, um, attorney or as a licensed therapist, but we want to give shepherds the opportunity to serve in what they have expertise in and to not require them to serve in areas or to know everything about how to get through these things and to bring in others. Right. And Okay, uh, let's get on to the first uh, item of business here. What would you say is the first thing that you would recommend church leaders consider when sexual mm-hmm. allegations have been made against uh, maybe someone on the ministry staff, right. what is the first thing that you would recommend they consider? Well, I would recommend that that not be the first time they hear about some allegations, that that's not the first time that they've had this conversation. I would recommend that um, a response protocol is already in place that will serve as a guide for navigating through these really difficult uh, situations. Because if shepherds haven't talked about this before and they start trying to plow through something hard like this, it's easy for church leaders and and ministry teams to, without guidelines, just to simply turn away and hope that things are going to blow over or to um, hold really damaging information in secrecy or to respond to the fallen ministers uh, in a way that's spiritually immature, which can contribute to their the minister's family, the team, the staff, the victim, and, and people in the church. It contributes to more trauma without guidelines to follow. So I think that's a great suggestion. Uh, they need to have this conversation before sexual allegations are made. They need yes. to know what steps they're going to take if this ever becomes a right. problem. Right, Good. absolutely. Okay. Well, what else would you advise? Well, as we begin this conversation about allegations and then eventually follow-up responses, we do want to mention a few assumptions that we're making. Um, the first one is 
we're making this assumption that because ministers, teachers, missionaries are often held to a higher standard, a prayerful, mature, and strong response is required for ministry moral failure. Good. It's not something to be swept under the rug Good. because they are seen as spiritual leaders. Right. And a response to a church leader's moral failure um, just know that this is something we're assuming. It's never intended to come from a spirit of pride or arrogance or anger or self-righteousness. That is never what is called for in these situations, but rather we are assuming that church leaders will respond in a spirit of humility that gently seeks the truth and reconciliation for all concerned. Good. We're also operating from... Um, the assumption that at the heart of any moral failure is deceit. So consequently, the outcome of lying to God and others regarding moral failure, it results in the loss of credibility, trust, and the ability to lead others to discipleship. So now you're talking about how important this discussion yes. is. And we're just saying at the very outset, outset, the bottom base of moral failure is deceit to God and to everybody else. And that's the the foundation that we have to operate from. We're also operating from with the assumption that uh, disregarding allegations or prejudice, prejudicially protecting the accused without appropriate follow-up, it makes things worse. You're going to re-traumatize any victims in these situations, and it disallows the ability for there to be potential for redemption, healing, and reconciliation. It takes away any opportunities to move through a hard place with a spiritual response. Okay. Uh, And one quote that I just want to share as we're beginning uh, to walk through this process of what to do with allegations. Kelly O'Donnell is a, a missionary, a psychologist, and a very good author. And he made an excellent statement that I, I would like for us to share as it relates to this topic. He said, truth without grace may be brutal, but grace without truth can be lethal. And that is so important that we keep truth and grace as co-characteristics as we proceed with this conversation in this podcast. I think that's well said, hon. Okay, uh, with these points in mind and with the understanding that all moral failures are unique and varied and person-specific, mm-hmm. let's, let's offer some general steps. Uh, what general steps would you recommend or a spiritual and mature response to the crisis that would be created by allegations of a church leader's moral failure? What general steps? Let's talk about uh, general step number one. I would say the first step that spiritual leaders are going to want to take is the what I'd call the discovery step, and that is, what is truth? Uh, because of the emotional, shocking, and confusing nature of moral failure, suspicion, or allegations, and or discovery of what is true, it's recommended that the church leaders or the elders be immediately informed and brought into the allegations. You know, sometimes you and I have seen, well, many times, where uh, other ministers or other church members are told about the allegations, and they start working on this discovery phase by themselves. And we do not recommend this at all. How these allegations are handled can affect so much that's related to the outcome and the and the hurt that can be involved if the even if the allegations are proven untrue. 
So, in short, you're recommending that the church leaders be informed of yes. the allegations. Yes. Folks, we'll return to our conversation regarding moral failure among church leaders in just a moment. Before we do, please permit me to say a word again about the Effective Church Leaders Workshop. This is a workshop for church leaders who long to lead more effectively and help their church thrive, but who may feel ill-equipped and at a loss as to what to do. We certainly believe that there is a causal relationship between healthy churches and effective church leaders. So, we believe, if churches want to maintain health and grow, they need to give attention to the health of their leadership teams. Perhaps your church would benefit from this workshop, the Effective Church Leaders Workshop. We are now scheduling this workshop for dates in 2020. If we can help you to build a more cohesive leadership team and help your church thrive as a result, we'd be happy to help. To begin a conversation, With us, just go to EffectiveChurchLeaders.com and we will begin the process of selecting a date. All right, let's continue this conversation. Uh, I think it might be helpful if we could talk about a hypothetical example and then maybe work our way through the process or through the recommended steps of addressing that particular hypothetical example. What do you say? Okay, um, I'm going to kind of take this in two different directions. But first of all, let's say uh, that a man or a woman in the church say, uh, shares with one of their friends that one of the church ministers has made sexual advances or had sexual contact with them. And this is a, the reason I am selecting this one is because it's the most common it's one very common. that you will hear. And it's one that you and I have heard many, many, many times through the years. And so the friends hear about this from the friend making the allegation. And then oftentimes they will tell one of the other ministers. And it is possible that sometimes shepherds of the church or elders are, are initially informed. But in the event that another minister or church member is informed first, that church member or the minister should immediately report this information from the friends who, who made the allegation to the shepherds. So you're saying the church leaders themselves need to be informed right away. Immediately. About the allegations. Mm-hmm. Okay. And naturally, when the shepherds hear about those allegations, they're going to want to spend time in prayer and, and discussion, uh, time talking to God about it and talking among themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I the reason we're kind of jumping up and down on this point is that this is often the place where a cover-up begins. I see. Or or the allegations are disregarded. We need to recognize how important it is that when there is an accusation made against a minister's reputation or his moral standards, this is a big deal to either find out if it's true or if it's not true. Well, current events tell us, and history tells us, that that many churches have tried to sweep these matters under the rug They've tried to keep them secret. They've tried to cover them up. Mm-hmm. And these matters don't stay covered up very long. They will not stay covered they up. They need to be addressed yes. directly. They need to be addressed. Okay. And it, it, this is often the place um, where it's not addressed in a spiritual way or 
where it's where it's slipped under the rug and and handled inappropriately. Right. So, like you said, boy, those the shepherds they're going to want to spend some time in prayer and in discussion, but they can't if they don't know about it. Right. And, so, so then after they hear about mm-hmm. the allegations and after they spend time discussing it among themselves, praying right. about this, what would you recommend they do next? Well, the shepherds are going to want to visit as soon as possible, and I mean hopefully within the next few days, Mm -hmm. the man or the woman who has made the allegations. Visiting with the person who made the allegations. Yes, they should should go to them, sit down with them, express concern, tell them what they've heard, and take this situation very seriously, document the conversation, ask questions. And by the way, if the shepherds are visiting with a female who has made the allegations, I strongly recommend that another female, at least one or two female, be a part of the team that goes to visit them. Good suggestion. This is where you could bring the wife of a shepherd or and or a female counselor okay. uh, to, with them. In fact, I'd recommend a female counselor be a part of that process um, okay. at that point. That's a good suggestion, I think. Uh, and, and let me ask you another question here. You know, we've talked a little bit about minors. What if the allegations involve a minor? This is a very, very significant question, because if the person that's made the allegations is a minor, uh, then the minor's parents should be in attendance at the meeting. And this is where it gets legally sticky, because if the allegations are serious, like grooming for sexual contact or sexual contact that has been made with this child or a teenager, young adult, legally it has to re- be reported to the Department of Health and Human Services or Social Services. Um, often parents um, or the minor themselves will report this event, but if they don't report it, the shepherds are required by law to report it. And the reason is, is that if it's never reported, the minister, if they are guilty, could be reoffending uh, if the allegations are true. And when it's reported, then that's when uh, the government of, uh, employees, the social services department, will do an, an investigation if it's a child. But I want to say again, that's why some t- uh, always... A mental health person needs to be involved in some of this if there's a minor. But you cannot go in and start asking this child questions. You have to, if you find out that there's questions and you start hearing, if you find out about the allegations and you begin to hear what has happened, it has to be reported. And a person that is qualified to interview children is the one that does the interviewing, not the church leaders. And the, re- and the reason this is important um, well, this could be 12 podcasts, but just briefly, there is the possibility of leading a child in their responses and who is doing the investigation and how it's being done. Because if that is not done right, and it really did happen, it could be thrown out and there would never be any legal consequences to follow up if the investigation had been had not been carried out by someone who knew how to do that legally with a minor. I see. Well, I think this might be some new information for some of our mm-hmm. listeners that there are times when certain allegations must be reported to the governmental authorities. Yes, yes. That might be new information. Yes. In fact, if shepherds know about it and do not report it, they're liable. Okay. The whole, the, they could be sued. 
that's how serious this is. And we want it to be this way. Right. If we've got a little kid or a teenager who did have something bad done to them, inappropriate by a minister, we want them to, uh, there to be legal people that know how to do this because we don't, this, this is damaging to the child and the family, and we want it done well. And, of course, the minister is in a very poor place. So we need people that know what they're doing to be able to get in there and do this interview. Good. But it is important for shepherds to go and just find out what's going, but, all going on. But when you start hearing about what's happening, then at that point, you've got to report it, not ask questions of the child, and then begin to provide care for the family but we'll talk about that in a minute you know i think we also ought to say here if you don't mind that when they go visit that person who made the allegations they need to go with an open mind absolutely in other words they need to go without having already made a decision what the truth is or which side of the fence they're going to stand on Mm -hmm. i mean they need to be fair to the person who has made the allegations if the allegations are true they may be true Right. And so they don't need to go in with any preconceived ideas on what they're going to hear. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Right. Because the next step is that then the shepherds or this response team should then visit with the accused minister. Okay. And and share the allegations and ask questions, document the conversation, and hear the minister's response as they seek truth. Because these things no one wants to hear. We don't want to hear them. But what we are trying to do is is legally determine what's true. And I say legally because if a minor is involved, we are not the ones to determine what is true. That is up to them because of children being involved or teenagers being involved. But we want to know what's true because if it's not true, the allegations, we've got to help the minister recover from this. And we've got to help the people that are making the allegations. We've got to figure out what's going on with that and try to bring some peace and harmony into this situation because someone's soul is at risk in this situation. Right. You, you mentioned documenting. So apparently you do see value in keeping some kind of a written record of yes. what is discussed. Yes. And that's a good reason to take a therapist along is because they write stuff down and they know questions to ask or they kind of help with the tone of what's going on. But a written record of what's discussed and decisions and actions, a written record is so vital because it helps everyone. It protects people that are involved and it also provides this framework of consistent detail Uh, which can be useful later on with godly responses uh, if the allegations are are proven true. But it's, you know, these are emotional situations, and it's hard to always remember what was said and who said and how it came down. And when we're dealing with our own emotions in a situation, it really helps to have a factual record of what happened that's dated. Okay, good. Uh, Good suggestions. Uh, Okay, Uh, step one is to meet with the parties involved and to try to find out exactly what happened. Uh, What would you say is the next step if the minister denies the allegations? Mm -hmm. And this is where we'll kind of go two different directions. If the minister denies the allegations with a minor, the shepherds can leave that investigation up to social services and move to spiritual care of both the accused and the family, his family, as well as the person that is making the invalid the allegations until that investigation is complete. 
If the allegations are proven true, then the state is going to take over, file charges, and the case will go to court. Okay. So that's, you know, if it's a minor and the minister says, no, I did not do that, then we're going to need to let let the state handle the it. State handle it as far as checking it out and doing the interviews, and that's where the shepherds do not want to take sides, and they want to encourage the church not to take sides at this point, and just provide spiritual support, prayer support. Um, that's what the shepherds can be doing during that time. However, uh, did you want to go ahead? And well, I was just going to ask if if the person making the allegations is not a minor but mm-hmm. another adult. Right. Well, and, what happens then if the minister the denies? That's the other direction we go with this. If the allegations are made by an adult, then it's really going to be important for the next step is to have two or three me- uh, members of their response team, again, including males and females, to facilitate a meeting um, between the minister and the person making who has made these allegations. So at this point... Uh, a person that's made, an adult that's made the allegations, the shepherds, the response team has sat down and talked with them, documented the conversations. They've gone to the minister. They've sat down and talked to the minister, shared the allegations, and listened to what the minister's side is. There may need to be additional conversations that goes on, but the goal at this point is to try to bring the minister and the accusing person who's made the allegations together so they can process the events in question and discover information, come up with some understanding, some interpretation and meaning, meaning of what happened with the hoped for outcome of reconciliation does not always happen. Um, but that's the hope for desires to bring these two people, um, into the same room And again, these are general guidelines and suggestions that we're making. Sometimes you discover that what, they thought was said wasn't said mm-hmm. or what was uh, what happened was something different or someone else was involved and sometimes you do discover that um, if the allegations uh, are not true that this is what did happen as well okay all right well okay uh, so you you've had the church leaders have had the meetings Let's say that they uh, get the uh, person who made the allegations with the, the victim or the accused together, and it comes out that the allegations are false. If the church leaders come to the conclusion that the allegations are unproven, what can they do then? What should they do then? Okay, so we, we have two situations. We're, we're now working through this, and we're making this sound very simplistic, by the way. It is not ever no. this clean and this easy. But we're processing through what's true, and then we're, we're, what happens if the minister says, I didn't do this? If it's a minor, the state's in charge. If it's an adult, then we're trying to sit down and figure out what really happened. And if we come to a place where the allegations are false, like if the legal investigation that's been required because a minor is involved has determined that those allegations are false and the minister is being exonerated, then the response team will then facilitate what we just talked about, minister, family, and church reconciliation and healing. And it's a it's really vital for a support system to be provided for each person that's in this, 
the scenario in the conflict or the allegation. And the support group should be the same gender for each person. Okay. In other words, if it's a female that made an allegation against a minister, then we need some. We need a support team that are made up of females for the one that's made the allegation and males for for the minister and they should be deeply spiritual people who will walk with the person and help facilitate forgiveness and healthy future plans now again we are just in the allegation world we haven't gotten to the podcast which will be about what if the allegations are true okay all right well let's summarize and uh, wrap wrap up this episode uh, we've talked about the need for church leaders to have a certain response protocol mm-hmm. when allegations are made. We've talked about the need for church leaders to be informed of the allegations, uh, that they should then try to determine the truth. They don't want to be covering it up or trying to sweep it under the rug or trying to keep it a secret, but trying to discover the truth, which may be difficult at times to do, but the effort needs to be made. We've talked about the fact that they need to report or they may need to report to the proper governmental authorities what the allegations are. This would be true if a minor is involved. We've said that the leaders need to meet with both parties, the one who made the accusation as well as the one who is the intended victim or or the minister, I should say. And eventually that both parties should be brought together to discuss the situation. And finally, we said that we need to have a support system for all parties, that Mm -hmm. church leaders need to provide that support system for the person making the allegations as well as the person uh, upon whom the allegations were made. Right. All right. And it's just, I mean, we're looking for truth in these situations. So if there have been inappropriate emails, texts, all of those will need to be proven, you know, and produced as the the proof of the allegations are on the part on each party. And spiritual leaders are trying to walk through and ascertain that and seeking spiritual guidance the whole way through. Okay. Uh, In closing, before we uh, sign off. Uh, If there are other church leaders who might have questions or might need more information, would they uh, be able to contact you and ask for your help? No, they could contact you. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we would be willing to talk with other church leaders that are going through situations. And sometimes that's helpful just to have someone on the outside that doesn't know all the parties. And and just to say, have you thought about this? Here's something you might look into. Uh, We would be glad to walk walk alongside of church leaders during those hard times. And because our hearts break when this happens for all involved, because it's just a painful fallout. So anyway, well, um, Although this hasn't been sunshine and butterflies today, uh, we do thank you today, friends, uh, for listening. And if you have comments to make on this subject, please let us know, because we really do value your feedback. And as always, thanks for listening to the Effective Church Leaders podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive. 